My name's Celeste. I'm a compulsive overeater. I, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Ben, for asking me to come and speak today. Um, this is probably one of the larger groups I've gotten to speak at. Uh, you know, uh, I've been in program since, uh, oh, about 12 years, and I've always heard, like, the kitchen sink. you got to go to the kitchen sink. you got to go to the pizza box. You know, <laughs> there's all these, like, iconic names. And uh, my main meeting is the 100-pounder meeting in uh, Woodland Hills. And I remember they used to say it was like 150 people there, standing room only. People would sit on the floor. And now we're down to about 20, 20 to 15 stable people, so things have changed. So it's nice to be in front of such a big group. So uh, I'm going to share, and I brought my picture today. Um, I, I, I'm going to kind of tell, like, this, this is old me. I weighed nearly 400 pounds. I've lost 170 pounds, and I've been abstinent for the last six years and three months, which is like a complete miracle, because the old me would have, was so in the diet mentality. I mean, it was like every year I would lose 50 pounds, and I gained 60 pounds, year after year after year. And uh, uh, this one, I looked like I was 12 months pregnant, because I always carried all my weight in my stomach. And every time I go on these yearly diets, people that didn't know me or they'd see me, um, because I used to go to a lot of different locations where I worked, um, and sometimes employees say, oh, you lost your, you had your baby. And I'd be like, no, I've never had any kids. I was quite frankly always kind of afraid to have kids because for most of my adult life, I was already like 320 pounds and everybody I knew who had kids gained a ton of weight. And I was like, oh my God, I can't envision myself gaining 60 pounds, 50 pounds, you know. So, um, and that, that wasn't my way and that's fine. I had a lot of freedom not having to, you know, lug around some kids. But um, <laughs> and a lot of time to eat, a lot of money to eat. Boy, in those days, my husband and I, we used to spend $2,000 a month eating out. And I worked at a restaurant my whole life. My parents owned a restaurant. I owned a restaurant. And then I went to work for a giant family restaurant chain. And there was so much food available. I ate from the minute I got up to the minute I went to bed. So I must have eaten $40 worth of food at work because it was free. And I was like, I'm going to get every penny I'm worth. And I did that for 30 years at that company um my blood pressure was starting to get a little bit higher i was like one notch away from being diabetic i had sleep apnea i was depressed and near the end here this was like right before halloween um you know i you know there was bouts where i felt suicidal i remember going to a trip to hawaii you know the best place in the world to go you know, and, and I'd have to travel there every three months, which everybody's like, wow, it's so great you get to go. But I'd always get the blues, you know, mm-hmm. because everybody's there together as couples. And then, you know, I'd go get, you know, get my giant pizza and get my giant drink and I'd be hanging out in my room all night, you know. And I remember one night in the balcony, looking over the balcony and I go, wow, you know, maybe just to get out of this pain, it wouldn't be that hard just to crawl over the edge. Thank God I wasn't a drinker because I probably would have, you know. But that really wasn't what I wanted. Um, and, I, you know, I had depression. I took antidepressants for, gosh, five, five to ten years. You know, I spent my whole life trying to numb myself. Uh, you know, it's like food addiction, 
Food and food and shopping were like the two. I mean, those two blended so much. I was either chasing after the sale and the great discount and hauling a whole carload of Goodwill shit home. I mean, it was crazy. I actually had a hundred after I lost, started not eating. I went to a hundred dollar a day Goodwill shopping. Three thousand dollars a month I was bringing home in Goodwill shit. So I took off all this weight and I loaded up my house. And then finally, I kind of got back to the middle now where I'm not eating and I'm not shopping like crazy. But I would do anything to put, oh, here, I'll pass my picture around because might not get to the back of the room. This room's so big. I'll start, I guess I'll start here. Um, I, you know, all I did was try to find ways to numb myself. So if it wasn't shopping to take my time up or eating, it was excessive sleeping, excessive TV watching, um, smoking pot drinking alcohol luckily a couple of those didn't get a hold of me uh, you know I'd have been in really bad shape um, but uh, things have changed now you know I've lost 170 pounds my blood pressure's in line I'm no longer diabetic I don't have sleep apnea I'm not on any of the depression medicine anymore um, I'm a little bit more of a bitch than I was before <laughs> I mean, everybody before said, oh, are you going to be different when you lose weight? Oh, no, 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 I won't be. Oh, I'm a lot different. <laughs> you know, I used to be the biggest people pleaser. That's all I did. I, 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 you know, I hear, when I finally started getting abstinent, you know, I was like 49 years old. And I was like, didn't know what the hell I wanted in my life because all I did was chase around everybody else's dreams, making them happy. And not being true to myself, and it just drove me crazy. So um, I started out as a, a, a fat American. I, my mom, had, they said I was on a diet at six months. My mom, you know, my mom uh, had me illegitimately in a very small town, and back in those days, it was like really a disgrace. And my dad had taken off. And he finally showed up like two weeks before she got uh, had me. And so she said, you know, every time you cried, I just shoved a bottle in your mouth because I didn't want to disrupt your, your father because he didn't really want to be part of this family. And so I just, that's been the habit in our family is just shove food in you and keep yourself quiet. And my dad was a rager and he was an alcoholic and we just like, we just kept quiet. We tried to be invisible. So... Um, so I learned, I just learned to live an anathenic, anathenic life. And then I decided, well, if, um, if I'm a perfect person, then I'm going to get, finally get some love, you know. So I tried to be so perfect, and that wasn't working. And then I thought, well, if I hit all these achievements, I'm going to have the perfect life, and I'm going to feel loved, and I'm going to feel fine now, you know. So, you know, I got straight A's, and I got the... Uh, valedictorian and I got the full college scholarship and then I went on and I got the corporate job and I made a six-figure income and I went up the ladder and I got to travel all over the world to New Zealand, Guam, Japan, all over and everybody would look at me and they say, oh my god your life is so wonderful and I'm thinking yeah but I'm living in a 360 or 70 pound body you know but the people that knew me, and once they got to know me, they all accepted me. It's the people that didn't know me, there were the ones that were constantly, you know, look, like making me feel invisible. Like they wouldn't make eye contact, or they were always staring at my belly, because <laughs> my belly was huge. And uh, 
So I've seen a lot of change in how people see me since I've lost the weight. I've noticed men now will hurry to open the door for me. <laughs> it was like shocking at first, you know. It's like, holy cow, what's happened here? And that's scary too because part of my story was, you know, my father was a little too familiar. And so I, I got this feeling like I need to keep gain weight. And I remember in high school I had actually lost all my weight. My mom said, your dad said you looked really good. And I gained 50 pounds in about a month. And you know what? My family didn't say a word. Nothing. And that's how our family's always been. I could get, gain a bunch of weight, but never say a word. I could fill the house up, every cabinet drawer with crap. They wouldn't say a word, you know. And I always went about thinking someday they're going to come and give me that grand intervention like I see on TV. You know, they're going to come in and everybody's going to tell me how much they love me and can't live without me and whisk me off to some you know, resort or Malibu or somewhere nice like that and pamper me and massage me and do all this and I'm going to come out cured. And it never happened. So I spent my life just going from program after program, from Weight Watchers to Tops to, you know, back to Weight Watchers, then to Kaiser to get, you know, learn about eating. I did that a few times. Then finally, um, I said to them, you know, look, something's wrong with me mentally because I can get on these diets and I can lose and be totally happy and, and not have any, like, try, not wanting to overeat and saying I love the food, I love the exercise. Then there'd be something that would send me in a tailspin and I would just go the other way and I'd gain all this weight. And then crazy me... I would like gain all this, get down there, gain the weight, and I'd always have to gain at least one pound more than when I started, so I could do it perfectly the next time. And I could never get it right. And as, as the years got long, as I got older, it just seemed like I couldn't lose as much weight, you know. And then I had cancer like at 35, and things really started slowing down after that. Luckily, I was a survivor, so that was something great I got through. But, um, you know, it just started becoming more and more of a struggle. So I finally said, you know what, I, I, went, I was going to a class at Kaiser about, you know, eating, and I went to the instructor afterward, and I said, I just don't know what to do, you know. It's like I'm just so obsessed with food. It's just overwhelming, you know. And I said, can you come to my car and help me take all the bags of food I have in the car out of the car? Because, you know, not only would I eat all day, you know, at work, and everybody would see me, oh, here, give me food, give me food. Then I'd, like, stop at Taco Bell. I was addicted to Taco Bell. It used to be in my 20s it was burgers and shakes, and then I went to Taco Bell for a good 20 years. <laughs> and my mom was, at one point was a Taco Bell secret shopper, and she'd bring home all this stuff to us. I was like, holy cow. And the cat was like, holy cow. It got so addicted to Taco Bell, too. I mean, it'd smell the bag, and it'd just come running. So I, I, took, I took the lady out there, and I kid you not, she says, okay. And I go, Do you got a bag somewhere? And she's like, a bag, you know. And I mean, my front seat was full of gar- garbage bag full of fast food bags. It was like I could eat it. I couldn't get rid of it, you know. And, uh, and she was shocked. And, and then and she was going to give me therapy for a while because she was like, I had her own practice. And then she decided not to. I think she said, wow, this is too much for me. 
So I actually kept pushing Kaiser and they put me in eating disorder therapy. And that was one of the first steps that helped. And that led me to Overeaters Anonymous. But it, it, I started learning to eat more mindfully. I started to start looking at my emotions. Because being that people pleaser, I, you know, I was very calm. They called me the flatliner. I mean, I never got upset. It could be the biggest storm and I was cool as ice on the outside. Inside, I was just boiling and then I couldn't get to, get to the food fast enough. So after I got abstinent, I really found that I had a big anger problem. I finally could put the word to it. Um, and that was scary because my dad was so angry and I was like, I didn't want to be labeled, you know, a person with an anger management problem, you know. So, um, uh, so I went to Kaiser. I started getting the therapy. They suggested I come to Overeaters Anonymous, although now they said, oh, we didn't tell you to go to Overeaters Anonymous. It's like, well, somebody there told me to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I was the only place I'd never heard of to go. I tried everything else. And so I started coming to the rooms, and I came in the rooms abstinent, uh, and I, was, I didn't get a sponsor right away. Because I was like, you know, I'm going to um, prove that I'm worthy to have a sponsor. You know, so it took me probably six, seven months to get a sponsor. And then when I tried to get one, I couldn't find one. It was like there weren't any in our group or some would identify. And then when I'd ask them, they would say they weren't available. And I'm like, oh, what the hell's wrong with me, you know? <laughs> and uh, so finally, I, you know, I got up one day at the meeting and pitched. I said, what's the deal here? I can't get a sponsor, you know. And then someone said, okay, I'll temporarily sponsor you. And then I went through a couple temporary ones, you know. It's like they kind of, I don't think they really, they were already too full. And they just kind of took me on for a little bit. But um, I, I then broke my abstinence. And then I went through this period of getting a chip every 30 days for about a year. And, uh, you know, most people would have like, you know, gotten one chip maybe two and then they usually they walk out the door I didn't this time which was unusual for me because usually I had to do everything perfectly and you know I got up the first time and I you know because I'm great at hitting a short-term goal so 30 days no problem and then I go out and celebrate for two days <laughs> and then I kind of go do my 30 days again I get my chip again you know because I love that attention <laughs> And but that was good for me because it showed me that you can still fail and be loved and accepted in a way. And so I did that for a year and then I got to some three month stints and then I got to a six month stint and then I relapsed again. And I mean, I got to my highest weight in OA, which is like over 380 pounds. I actually gained 40 pounds in OA and I started all over again, you know. So anyway, as I was at Kaiser, they finally talked me into having weight loss surgery. And I kicked and screamed about that because to me I was like, oh, God, my head's so fucked up. I'm never going to make it through that, you know. It's like I didn't want to be the person that can't eat and then is like so crazy about food, you know. But they were like, no, you need to do it. We can fix your brain. Let's save your life. So... I got right down to the last month of my husband's insurance. I put it off so long, and I finally had the surgery. I had gastric sleeve surgery, and it worked great for me. Um, and it was, you know, I don't, uh, I don't recommend it to everybody. I mean, it was kind of drastic. You had to become a baby again and drink liquids. And, but it really helped me a lot because I was so addicted, and I had so much fear about losing weight 
not even just about um, losing the weight. I mean, I had issues of vanity. One of them was like, because, um, you know, I, I didn't have a single wrinkle on my face at 49 years old, you know. That is the best nature's collagen, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, that was, that was my last excuse not to do it. I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I look, at least I look young. That's the one thing they always say. They always thought I was 15 years younger than I was, you know. At least that's my claim to fame, you know, and I lost the weight and I got these wrinkles and I'm like, holy cow, that's a new experience. Um, so anyway, um, and I always had the fear of getting under 300 pounds. Like if I get under 300 pounds, I'm not going to be safe, you know, and and I spent, oh gosh, I thought so, so much about the old stuff. I'm so sorry. A- anyway. You know, I got into the program and I had the surgery and the surgery helped me because I stopped eating and that was the scary part. I was always afraid to feel the emotions and the, for, I remember the first time I, I sat somewhere after I had the surgery and I, and wow, I can't eat. What do I do? I was scared to death. I could just feel the butterflies and then I found out, you know, if you just sit there for a few minutes and I got through it and that was like the breaking point and then after that... I didn't have to feel like I had to go to food all the time. And, uh, you know, the steps have kept me sober with the food and sober with other things. Uh, I know a lot of people that had the surgery with me have already started gaining their weight back. And we get a lot of people in the 100-pounder group that come and have had surgeries four or five times. I don't know how they do it. And they're, they're, you know, 350 pounds again. So the program, what I loved about it is when I came in, I was godless. I knew God hated me because I was such a sinner, although I didn't really do much bad. But, uh, you know, I didn't have the spiritual program. And, you know, I came in and I just started faking it. I said, everybody else seems like they have a spiritual program. I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to believe. Whatever they say, I'm going to do. And lo and behold, as you started working the steps, I found my spiritual program. You know, and now I feel like I have higher power that I can depend on. I love the fourth step and the fifth step. Um, I mean, the fifth step was so freeing for me. It was like the first time I got secrets out. I mean, I, I went to therapy for years, but I mean, all I did was make the therapist feel good. <laughs> like, you're curing me. It, you know, and that last year when I finally got abstinent, I went to therapy for two years and I actually started spilling my guts because I'd already been in OA kind of spilling my guts to some degree. And I didn't want to put my sponsor through all that either, you know, because they're not therapists. So I got the therapist and I finally started getting real. And then I started having to look at my shortcomings. And I wanted to share one thing that was really helpful for me because I know I talked too long about the old days. Um, One is using the serenity prayer. I use that all the time to help me solve problems. For instance, um, like a few years ago, my mother-in-law got really sick and came to live with us. And then she got dementia. And so all of a sudden, I had to deal with this adult baby. And so, you know, I put my problems in the serenity prayer. So I said, like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. So like in that situation where now I'm having to bathe her and feed her and take care of her, I was like, Okay, can I change this situation? I can't. Okay, so what's the next thing? The courage to change the things I can. The things I can change is my attitude about it, you know. And so I said, you know what? I never had the opportunity to have kids. 
this is a great opportunity, you know. So my husband and I took care of her. It brought us together. I got to show that I could be a loving, responsible mother. Um, our, my relationship with her just really blossomed. My relationship with my mother who lived in the same house went the opposite direction. <laughs> For some reason, she got really jealous about the whole thing. Um, and then the wisdom to know the difference. You know, like if I have a problem, I used to be the one that would go and tell every single person I knew about, oh, this bad thing that happened to me. I wanted the attention. I wanted the sympathy. I'd make, you know, spend eight hours talking on the phone or asking them what their opinion was to do. And I could never get, you know, you got 50 different answers. And I'm really indecisive. Then I couldn't make a decision. So now I either go to my sponsor, I go to one trusted friend, and that's the decision will be made then, and I'm moving on. And it was just amazing how much this helped me in my program. And I used to be a terrible, excessive worrier. And I would have, like, because living in an alcoholic household, you never knew how dad was going to be tonight. So you always had plan A, plan B, plan C. What am I going to say if he says this? And what am I going to say if he does that? And so I was always living in this fantasy or this projection of how things are going to be. And when I got in the program and started working with my sponsor, she started having me work with a God box. And so I would start, when I start worrying, I'd put my thing in the God box. And I'd say, all right, I'm not going to allow myself to even think about this. And if it's an upcoming event, I allow myself 30 minutes before the event. Then I'll start thinking about it. And I'd write my thing in there because I'm a visual person. I forget things real easy. So I'd write my problem on there, put it in the box. Then I, later I go back, open the box once a month, take out my problems. And I'd say, oh, well, that didn't even happen. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that wipes so much worry right off my plate. So I guess I'm going to end there because I guess you have plenty of time to ask me questions about the program that I didn't talk about. <laughs> as much as I wanted to.